Great. Hey, we're beginning our new series, Work It, Faith Meets Sweat, and I have the privilege of introducing Natalie. If you don't know her, you should get to know her. She's one of my dearest friends. She has helped me grow personally in this area and the way that she's cultivated uh, our community to be a community of worshipers has been incredible and astounding. And so I know that uh, she certainly um, has so much to offer us and does so on a weekly basis. So will you help me in showing appreciation to the one, the only, Natalie Hill. You know, I like how we did away with the slow clap, but it just always comes back. It, just, it always does. Because it's my favorite. That is exactly right. Um, so I'm really excited to kick off this new sermon series called Work It, uh, where we'll be talking about where, as it says, faith meets sweat. I wish I had come up with that, but Toby and Jolene are the ones who came up with that. Um, nice, right? I know. Um, so tonight we'll be reading passages th um, in James, in John, and in Galatians as we look at this topic. But before we dive in, um, let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are good and that you meet us where we're at. Um, Lord, I pray that as we hear what your word says tonight, as we talk about work and how it interacts with our faith, God, um, would you make yourself known, reveal yourself, and meet us where we need you to meet us. I pray this in, all, in your name. Amen. So you may know me as Natalie, as an artist, um, probably mostly because I'm leading worship and I'm mostly playing music, you know, whenever you see me. I also do the creative, I oversee the creative arts fellows who make these graphics and come up with cool sayings like that. Um, I do a lot of, of art, so you might know me in that way. You might also know me as a leader, as Natalie, the, the preacher or speaking or leading mission trips or teaching next, next level intensives, which just finished up. You might also know me, the other side of me is a family member. I talk about my baby cousins all the time. I always talk about my family. That's something that you could know about me. You might also know me as my actually favorite identity, which is Natalie, the girl who dislikes Taylor Swift. Um, but many of you probably don't know me as Natalie, the athlete. And you're thinking that's because you're not an athlete. Wrong, that's not true. Actually, what you don't know probably is that I played soccer my entire life. I started at the age of six all the way up to, so I guess that's not my entire life, but from the age of six up to uh, freshman in college, I played soccer like day in, day out. I was on a travel team at an early age. I went to tournaments. I was uh, on my school soccer team in middle school and high school. In, I played varsity soccer, um, you know, not to like, pat myself on the back too much, but my junior year we did win division title, but you know, whatever. Anyway, so all that to say, my life revolved around soccer for a long time. So much so that I decided to quit cold turkey when I came to college, um, mostly because I realized that I spent most of my life wasting away running all the time, and it was really miserable. So I picked up a guitar, and the rest is history. Um, but. The team that I spent the most time on was a team called the Cougars. My dad was, it was a travel team. My dad was the assistant coach. And I played on this team for many years. And one memory that I have of this team um, is the cheer that we used to say all the time. So 
all the other teams, they always had these super cool cheers. They usually had multiple parts or call and response. Sometimes there was some singing involved. Sometimes there was like a drama element. People were even like acting. You know, like people, like teams have these crazy cheers, right? So we always wanted to do these cheers. My dad, on the other hand, hated them. Hated every single long cheer there was. And he was like, there's no way in the world we would ever do that. We could say one cheer and one cheer only, and it was work hard, go Cougars. That's it. We, could, we begged, and we never could. It was work hard, go Cougars. I actually called my dad to tell him that I was giving this example, and he was like, yep, that's right. <laughs> so he still thinks the same to this day. Because to him, those cheers from all the other teams were just kind of showy. Um, they didn't really mean a whole lot if you didn't have the, the hard work to back it up. And so he just really hated it. He said it was pointless words. Um, so our focus was solely as a team to be working hard and that we would win games uh, by our hard work, not by our fancy cheers. And to this day, obviously, he said, you know, that's right. And he still texts me that to this day because he's a dad and dads do weird things. Um, I think we live in a culture where we don't love work. We don't love work like my dad loves work. We also don't love the idea of work or the idea of our faith in the context of work. I think it's easy to err on two different sides, to err on two different extremes. There's one extreme where you err on all work all the time when it comes to your faith. And in that area, that's legalism, right? Like when it's all about work. When your faith is completely works-based, that's legalism. But then there's this other side, which is really no work. That's what I affectionately like to call the Jesus is my homeboy religion. Do you guys remember those shirts that came out in like the early 2000s? It was like a picture of Jesus, and it was like, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, sure, Jesus is my friend, he's my buddy, but that's not all he is. But when we don't put work into our faith, Jesus becomes our BFF, but he doesn't become our Lord and our Savior. So that's the other extreme. I think our faith has to fall somewhere in the middle, right? The truth is, and what we see in Scripture, is that we are created for work. We see that work was a part of creation before the fall of man, not after the fall of man, as we see um, in Genesis, the account of Adam and Eve eating of the fruit and the, knowledge, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That all happened after God created us to work. I think, though, that we view work as a post-fall punishment when that's not true. We are created for work and to enjoy work. So today we're going to read a couple passages. You can flip with me first to James chapter 2. We're going to talk about how work very practically fits into our lives and, and, and what our capacity for work looks like when it comes to our faith. In James chapter 2, we see um, him write about how faith interacts with our faith and how, or how work interacts with our faith and how they go together. So in James 2, verses 14 through 29, you can read along with me or follow along on the screen. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 
But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is no one, that you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that in Shudder. Here we see how faith and works go hand in hand. Faith and your actions, faith and your deeds. You can't have one without the other. As James says, works is an essential part of your faith. Faith without the works behind it are dead. He, he goes on to even say that, okay, you believe that there's one God, you believe that he exists, great, the demons do too, so what makes you different from them? And the thing is that makes us different from even the demons is that there are works and actions behind the faith that we have. Go on, you know this is going to be a great sermon when I compare us to demons in my introduction. What we see in scripture is that grace is a free gift. Romans 3.24 says that we are justified freely by grace. That's the story of the gospel, right? That Jesus came and he saved us and we did nothing to deserve it, yet we receive that gift of salvation. That's what grace is. But here's what we need to know about grace. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. I don't know if we often recognize this distinction or notice this different in our lives. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Earning and effort are two different things. So before we do anything else, before we break down the practical steps of what, how we can work out our faith in our day-to-day lives, I think we need to know the difference between earning and effort. Jesus makes a case against earning or against the idea of legalism many times in scripture. Legalism is about what we can bring to God. Earning is about what we can do and our ability and our faith becomes about us and not about God at all. In Luke 11, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and he's reprimanding them. And we hear about the Pharisees and we talk about them and look down on them. But this is the reason why. The the Pharisees were teachers of the law and they were obsessed with the law and they did everything by the law, but they missed out on Jesus, the Son of God, who was standing right in front of them because they were so obsessed with the law. They thought they could earn their salvation, which was kind of a self-centered faith, right, if it was a faith at all. And they were, they were actually obeying it and doing good things, but they were missing the point because their heart behind it wasn't about God. It wasn't about the grace that we received. It was about what they could do to earn their salvation. And it became a selfish faith where they missed the point, and it wasn't in their hearts at all. In Galatians 3, we see Paul say that, that we, were, we were given freedom from the law, that grace equals freedom from the law. We're no longer slaves to the law, but the righteous live by faith. The law in itself isn't bad. These guidelines that we have, they're not bad. But when that becomes our faith and the work that we do for it and doing everything in this checklist, these do's and don'ts, when that's our faith, that becomes legalism. That is us earning. And we can't earn grace. We sang last week a song called Simple Gospel. We also sang it at Good Friday. Um, One of the lines says, I'm laying down all my religion. That line doesn't mean that religion in itself is bad. Actually, we would believe that religion is good, right? But the the word religion has a tendency to equate with with legalism. In the modern church, it, 
it often is seen as a list of do's and don'ts, of practices, of rules that we have to obey, and a checklist faith. And that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is that we are brought into a relationship with Jesus while we were still sinners. He gave us grace to bring salvation and that we are given a chance to put, put effort into our faith to come closer to him and to live alongside of him and spend eternity with him. The gospel is about our hearts. It's not about legalism. It's not what we can do for God because we can't do anything for him. Dallas Willard says that when we live out of faith, when we try to, to earn, it ends up being just a completely shallow faith. We can do it for a while, and we can fake it for a while, but it ends up being just a surface level and super shallow. Because it's about who we are, not how we act. And that's a super important distinction. It's not, it, it is about who we are, not how we act. It's the difference between trying to be loving and longing to secure the good in others. There's trying to be loving and then longing to secure the good of others. One is what we can do on our own ability. The other is a heart thing, is longing for the good of others. Our failure to know the difference, Willard would argue, is, is one of the primary reasons that we fail to grow spiritually. That's earning, but effort is something completely different. All of that doesn't mean that our faith doesn't take work. It doesn't mean that we have to put something into it. Because if we don't put any work to it, it's that Jesus is my homeboy, kind of no strings attached kind of faith. That's not what we want either. Because there's no substance in that as well. Because the truth is that everything worth doing takes work. Think about your relationships, your family. When you came to college, you learned that you had to call your parents to keep up that relationship with them. Everyone's like, oh, shoot, I need to call my parents. Um, you had to put work into that relationship in order to maintain it. Or ask anyone who's married. It takes work to be married to maintain that relationship. You need to put date nights on the calendar. You need to come home. You can't work all day. You need to put effort into that relationship. And even your friendships. I think it's really easy for, for people to envy other friends who are really close, but we're not willing to put the work that they've put into it, right? But if I'm not willing to put the work into a friendship, I'm probably not going to have the level of closeness that they might have with someone else who is willing to put that work into it. This, for all these relationships, it means the joyful times, it means the good times, but it also means the, the hard times. It means the fighting. It means the, the clashing or butting heads or the arguments because relationships take work and it takes wrestling with things together. That's what makes for a true, deep, substantial friendship. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 15, Jesus talks about, as Christians, we are called to bear fruit. And in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, he talks about this in, in, with the image of, of being the vine and we are the branches, right? Branches that produce fruit. And in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. 
Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is saying is that God prunes away those, those branches who are us, the, the branches that don't bear good fruit, the ones that aren't producing anything, he prunes away, he gets rid of, he has no need of. And the only way to bear good fruit, as Jesus says, is to remain in him, to remain in that good vine that gives us our substance, who gives us that strength to our faith. We bear fruit by remaining in him. Flip over to Galatians 5. As we talk about fruit and, and what fruit looks like, you guys probably re- remember and recognize this chapter. It's, it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about that at XA Speak last week, the fruit of the Spirit. But I also want to look at it in the context of, of the chapter and what leads up to it. Paul doesn't just talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Beforehand, he also talks about the fruit of the flesh. And I think it's important to, to know the difference and to think of them both in context. So we're starting um, in Galatians 5, verses, verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So basically, right there, what he's saying is that the flesh wants something that's different from the Spirit, right? The flesh, meaning our nature, meaning who we are naturally, wants something different than what the Spirit is. He goes on to say what the the fruit of the flesh are. Sexual immorality, anger, hatred, gossip, idolatry, witchcraft, all of these things. These are our natural tendencies. These are the desires of the flesh and the fruit that comes out of us when we don't live by the Spirit. But then he picks up... In verse 22, he says, and this is the one that you're probably more familiar with, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So our tendency is these fleshly desires, right? These things that, that are bad. That is our, our nature. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned. We were born with a sin nature. And so this is an argument against that, but I'm a good person. Maybe you don't struggle with certain things, but our nature, our tendency, is these desires of the flesh. Yet, through grace, we're given the gift to crucify those desires daily and to live and to walk by the Spirit and to produce good fruit, to produce these good fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. This will flow out of us when we fully remain in Christ and live by the Spirit. As believers, we are called to bear good fruit. So most kids, when they're young, have dreams about what they want to be when they grow up, or they fantasize about being something like... um, a, a princess, perhaps, or uh, a rock star, a professional athlete. So for me, most of the girls around me wanted to be Mia Hamm, who maybe no one here knows, and that makes me sad. Um, yeah, Mia Hamm. Um, you would think that's who I wanted to be, but no. Um, 
I had one dream, um, and this is 100% true. Um, the thing that I fantasized about was being a farmer. I, right there, like, wait, what? No, like, this is like, I really did. Um, I really, really, really wanted to live on a farm. Um, I, I grew up in the suburbs, in the suburbs that were very close to the city. I currently live in DC, um, but like, there's still something inside of me that has always been there, apparently, um, that really, really would love to live in the country somewhere on a farm to work the fields and pick broccoli and feed the chickens. Um, <laughs> people who live on a farm are like, that's not what you do on a farm. <laughs> in my head, that's what you do. Um, and this could be a product of my parents. Um, they are not farmers, but um, my dad like is meticulous about his yard. He just loves working in the grass. He lo every single Saturday morning, he goes out, mows the grass, trims the, the edges. I mean, he's meticulous about his lawn and yard work. My mom, who's a teacher, and every chance she gets in the summer, when she's not at summer school, she's always gardening. And my family has something about working with your hands and seeing a product come out of the work that you put into it, right? There's something rewarding about doing something with your own hands and seeing a good product come out. It's way less rewarding when, for my dad when he just would have put sod on the ground. Maybe it would happen faster and take less work, but for him, there's not a reward to it. Just like for my mom, she won't just go buy a fully formed plant because there's some sort of joy in seeing it grow from the work that she put into it. The thing though is that seeing these good products, it, it does take a lot of work. And I don't think that that idea is very popular in the culture that we're part of. I don't think it's super popular in the city. Sure, people put work into the thing that they're passionate about, but it's not so much about the work that you're doing itself as much as the, the result or you know, maybe it's politics, maybe your desire is international relations. So you'll put the work into it, but not for the sake of working. Where I grew up, maybe I got a little bit of a head start because I come from a very blue-collar, hard-working city where people just work to make a living, but they work to work and they really enjoy working. I understand that not everyone, maybe none of you, had any desire to be a farmer or find any desire to farm in the future this might not be your tendency to do this work. Maybe you would rather um, someone do your yard work for you, and that makes it easier. That might be our, our tendency. Not everyone finds joy in this, but work is still needed for the seeds to grow. Just because we don't feel a personal tendency to be disciplined, it doesn't mean we get the excuse to avoid discipline. I think it's really easy for us in our age group to exalt personality types. And I, don't get me wrong, I love examining my personality type and what makes me tick. However, I think sometimes we exalt that over responsibility. And we find excuses, oh, it's just not part of my personality. Oh, I just don't tend to do that. That's not what I feel comfortable with. But I ho hope we remember that our nature is actually to sin. So um, our personality is to sin. And that might sound harsh, but I think that we, I, I say that because it's not an excuse to do the work that we've been called to do. This is true also in dry seasons. When it comes to our faith, there are gonna be seasons 
where there seems to be little to very no, to no reward. For example, my example of farming, um, in my house at home, we have a huge rabbit and deer problem. There are seasons when the rabbits eat everything. Blaine's laughing. My mom doesn't laugh at the rabbits. So we set up little wire fences, or my mom loves liquid fence, which, smell, which smells like rotten eggs. We have to put work into avoiding these rabbits and these deer who will eat all of her plants, right? Sometimes when the, we have sandy soil, there's other people who live in clay soil, things grow differently in there, but it doesn't change that we have to put work into those seasons. There are some seasons where the rabbits eat our seeds, right? Some seasons take more work in our faith. Some seasons God seems further away than other seasons or he seems harder to find. For example, over the summer, I'm sure a lot of us have experienced over the summer God seems further away or when we're home with our family or when we, are, when we go abroad. If, if any of you go abroad, God might seem far away. Or after graduation and when Chi Alpha is in a regular part of your life, God might seem far away. In those seasons, I think our tendency is to believe, oh, actually, God is far away, and maybe that means he's not real. It seems like a lot of work. Our tendency is just to drop everything and to give up. But as we see in Scripture, in, in places like Lamentations 3, or the Psalms, as we talked about in the Lyricology series last year, in, in these writers' laments, God, there are seasons where, where God seems far away, where God seems far off, and when things feel dry, when these things happen, when, when things feel dry and hard, unfortunately, that means there's more reason to put effort into the work. We see more fruit by remaining in him no matter what the season looks like. So that's all well and good, right? And you might be saying, okay, I believe that, but how? What is the practical steps? What does it look like to remain in Jesus? I think we often have these big ideas, but sometimes it's hard to think of the practicals. What is the day-to-day -day that we need to do? Dallas Willard, as I mentioned before, he write, writes a great book called Renovation of the Heart and Daily Practice. It's all about that. It's all about spiritual formation and, and our lives in the context of that spiritual formation and what practical steps are, are needed to be formed spiritually. Spiritual formation is a big phrase just to to really explain the process where our hearts line up with God's heart, or the process where our will comes closer to what the will of God is. This is the formation of our will, our thoughts, our feelings, to be more like God's. We as Christians are called daily to be forming more like him, to grow to be more like him, and for our will to line up with his. So what does this look like practically? Well, Willard gives us this model that I just basically stole from him. It's called the VIM model. It stands for vision, intention, and means. And we're just going to break those apart. Um, one, vision. It means vision of life in the kingdom. Jesus teaches us to pray, and he says one thing that we say in this prayer is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't say, let your kingdom be great up there, you know, when life is over here, he says, no, your kingdom come on earth. We need to have a proper vision of what the kingdom looks like on earth here and now, not just hereafter. How do we do that? We do that by reading scripture. This doesn't look like just coming to TNW or just Sunday morning. This means a personal daily devotional life where we are in the word constantly being filled by what 
the Word of God says. I'd encourage you to start in the Gospels. That's a great place to look at the life of Jesus and see how Jesus models the kingdom of, of heaven on earth as he was walking among us. The truth is we have to be constantly learning. There's always something for us to be learning about the kingdom of God and what that looks like here, but we can't expect to live a kingdom-centered life if we don't know what a kingdom-centered life looks like. So to be frank, that's not just small group. That's not just Thursday night. That's not just Sunday morning. That's daily. That's being in the word daily to understand him and what a relationship with him looks like. Just like we talked about relationships taking work, this relationship with Jesus is a daily endeavor. So one, vision of life in the kingdom. Two, intention. We have the vision, right? We, the first step is, is knowing what life in the kingdom looks like. The second step is desiring to live life in the kingdom. The problem we often run into is that we don't always see the value of transformation and thus don't feel like putting the effort into spiritual formation. It's one thing to say, yeah, this is what the kingdom of God looks like, that I believe in God, great. But it's kind of hard to put all that effort in. So I kind of don't want to. And so we're left with that, like I said before, shallow faith, that no transformation. We have to work and put effort toward creating a desire to live life in the kingdom. And the only thing that helps us create that desire is by practicing trusting in Christ. Now that might seem counterintuitive, right? Like, you know, I don't know if I want to put the work into it. My answer is put the work into it, but that's true. We have to work at trusting God. That looks like acting as if what the Bible says is true. That's what belief is. That's what faith is. Acting as if what the Bible says is right. Notice that's not just thinking that what the Bible says is right, but it's acting out that belief. It takes action. It takes taking a step. I think in this upcoming week, I'd love for people to think about what are those things that block your intentions towards spiritual growth? What is it? Maybe it's a sin issue, but maybe it's also just a lack of motivation or a lack of trust that God is good or that he has a good plan for us. I, need, I think we need to examine, do all of the parts of our lives match up? Do they all go together? There might be the, the Thursday night Natalie, the worship leader Natalie, or the Sunday morning Natalie, but is my personal devotional, devotional life, does that match up with my worship, Natalie? Does my relationship with my mom match up with my, my, my worship, Natalie, or my preacher, Natalie? Do all the parts of our lives match up? And what are those areas that don't? And what's keeping us from growing in that area? So that's intention, desiring to live life in the kingdom. And then third, means. This is where the practical comes in. This is where our work, our effort comes in. And we see this through spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are just things that we can do practically day to day that usher in the kingdom, that, that allow us to be in a relationship with Jesus. And it allows us to make habits that put us in a place to be in relationship with Jesus. This can look like a, a lot of different things and should look like a lot of different things. Some examples, study and meditation, reflection, self-sacrificial actions, prayer, rest or Sabbath, 
solitude, getting alone with God, fasting, worship, as we talked about last semester. These are all practical things, and it's not just what your tendency is. If, for me, my tendency is worship, and it's music. I can do that a lot. That can be the thing that I focus in on. However, that doesn't replace Bible reading, meditation, prayer, fasting, um, self-sacrifice. Those things all have to come in line. All these spiritual disciplines are important in our lives. When we do these things, we go deeper into what living life in the kingdom looks like. We go deeper into living with the Spirit so that we see the fruit of the Spirit, not just the fruit of our flesh. We see a faith that's about our heart and about who we are, not just our actions or trying to be good. Another thing, too, is that spiritual disciplines aren't limited to our mood. I think it's really easy for me to hear my alarm go off in the morning early because I do my quiet times in the morning and to be like, you know, I'm really tired. We had TNW late. All the students stayed way too late, as always. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just too tired. I think that I'll just skip today. It doesn't really, it's not based on my mood. It's also not based on how, what people do to me. So, like, I can't have an excuse to say, I don't really want to be kind to that person because they wronged me. That's not an excuse. Spiritual disciplines aren't based on our mood. We also have to work at making things habit. Like I said, our tendency is to do what the flesh desires, and that's sin. Because our natural desire is something different than what the Spirit's the Spirit wants. We need to constantly be growing in these spiritual disciplines, practicing these spiritual disciplines, and continually dying to self so that we can bring more of the Holy Spirit into our lives. The band's going to come up, and we're going to have a time of response together. And I think there are a couple things that we need to think about kind of as we close tonight. The first thing I think we need to do is recognize that Jesus is worthy of our effort. I think it's easy for us to get all of the steps mixed up in there. But it's important to know the order. To know God's greatness, know his worth, to know who he is, and then why our effort matters. When we truly understand God's greatness, our hearts should desire to work toward living a kingdom-centered life. So I'd encourage you this week to start these habits. Start tomorrow. Get a Bible reading plan ready or, or talk to a friend and, and have them hold you accountable. Maybe have uh, someone in your small group or your small group leader hold you accountable to doing these things daily. Bring them into your life. Maybe you've done this for a long time. Maybe there's areas you need to grow even if you've done this for a long time. But I'd encourage you to get to a place where we are practicing these habits daily. But tonight, before we do that, um, we're going to start just by observing and understanding his greatness. That part comes before we do anything else. Because what we do is a response just solely to who, who he is and how good he is. So we're going to end in a song, and, and we'll sing with the band. If you want to stand up and to sing, you can stay in your seat and reflect on who God is. There's also a place, if you need to maybe confess some things that maybe are blocking that spiritual formation. Um, confession, I do think, sometimes is, is lost in our kind of evangelical 
denominations and, and in our evangelical way of life that confession is, is looked at this high church religion practice but honestly the Bible gives us a model for that it allows people to hold us accountable and sometimes we need to get this out to tell someone what it is that's blocking us so that they can hold us accountable but also that we can get it out that it can be out there so that God can work in it so if that's you you might need to use this time to confess to get with your small group leader your friend turn to someone that you know and maybe pray with them and ask them if they'd hold you accountable to that and maybe that's not you maybe you need to stand and just recognize who God is and his greatness and to worship him for it but I encourage you this week, this isn't something to put off. Spiritual formation isn't something that we wait for or we wait until we're ready. God wants to meet with us now, and he wants to give us that grace. And I think when we just go through the motions and we are satisfied with the shallow faith, we hit a point or we hit a wall where we can't do it anymore. And you might have friends, you might have family members as I do who have hit that point or places and seasons when I've hit that point and realized there's no substance to what I'm doing. I need to make a choice. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I not going to follow Jesus? Tonight, would you make a decision to follow Jesus and to put the effort, to put the work into this relationship that he wants to have with us? Would you stand with me as we pray? God, I thank you for your grace that you've given to us so freely. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. That you loved us even when we didn't love you first. And that what you want is to be in a relationship with us and to share that grace. God, I pray that you'll meet me, that you'll meet us where we're at. God, would you reveal to us the things in our hearts that are keeping us far from you and keeping us from putting effort into the relationship that you want to have with us. God, would you convict us? Would you open our hearts to who you are and what you have for us, God? Would you create a desire in us to seek you and to seek a kingdom-centered life, God? But first and foremost, God, would you show us your glory? Would you show us how good you are? And would you give us the grace and the strength to trust you more? I lift these things up in your name. Amen.